How true, how true. Thank you, Walter. Thank you, Allison. God's good, isn't He? That's a great, a great song. I think our choir's done it before, and it just reminds us how you know our freedom is important, but the freedom, the liberating eternal freedom that comes to those that kneel at the cross is just absolutely incredible. And no, I'm not going to preach sitting here. That's what you're thinking. Uh, I do need to... By the way, the ladies have done a superb job decorating. Amen? And you hadn't been in the fellowship. Many of you haven't been in the fellowship hall yet. They've done that. They've done in here in the hallway. I appreciate what they've done. I guess it was the batteries. It's good. Uh, your Bible's open to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we'll be looking at some verses there and hopefully we'll be going uh, to, uh, to the book of Colossians 2. Uh, but uh, give me just a second. I need to get a timepiece. Do you know what else today is besides we're having 4th of July celebration here? But today also, some of you should remember from the announcements last week, what are we having also today? Corn Day. day. So if you're here for the first time and you don't know about Corn Day, what that means is there's corn out in the parking lot. There's a truck full of corn. And Mr. Ken Maddox, it comes off his land, and they, we do this once a year. He does it once a year. Several guys in here volunteered and went and picked it yesterday. And we invite you to stop. Now, you'll eat lunch with us and play kickball, I'm sure. And, uh, but then you stop. And even, let's say for some reason you can't stay. Stop and get you some corn. Get you some corn and go home and make some you know, boil some corn or whatever. But I appreciate Mr. Ken doing this. He's done it every year I've been here. And what a blessing it is. So uh, we want you to get some corn before you leave today. Um, I have some historical stuff. Usually I do an insert on some of this. and um, let, me, let me just say that the, the video we watched or you watched um, is from a ministry called Wall Builders. Okay? Now, I, I don't talk a lot about para-church ministries. Para meaning beside. Ministries are, that are beside the church. They're not the church. And some people make ministries like that their church. They don't go to a local church, but they get involved in all these para-ministries. But, but wall builders, and that gentleman that you heard speaking, his name is David Barton, is an incredible historian. He's a Christian but he is a, an incredible uh, historian, especially when it comes to America's Christian heritage. Um, there, years ago, a matter of fact, when the Twin Towers were hit, uh, that, that same year, I was scheduled to be in Washington the week after that, and we had to delay, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I had to delay our trip for another month. So we went, in, I think in November, and called a pastor's briefing and David Barton you go there and he does some conferences but you get to meet senators and members of the house who are believers and they just talk to you about the state of the nation and uh, it was very profound you do tours you get to go places most people don't get to go and real blessing Uh, he's having another one in September I hope to go this year September but he he's bringing all the politicians to Texas 
So uh, I may go to Texas and hear what these guys have to say. But anyway, if you're looking for something about Christian history, you want to, that's somebody, wall builders is who you want to go to. Um, he has the greatest, as an individual, he has the greatest collection of documents that verifies America's Christian past than anybody in the United States. He's, he's often asked to be in settings like court issues where he goes in and he lays out documents that prove that our roots were based in biblical truth or biblical Christianity. And uh, he has the documents to, to back those up. So I, I really think a lot of David Barton. Um, tomorrow will be obviously July the 4th, 2022, and it'll mark uh, our 246th birthday of our great republic. It was on this day in 1776 that the Continental Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration explained why the 13 American colonies sought to absolve from allegiance to the British crown, uh, believing that the laws of nature and nature's God entitled America to be free. Fifty-six signers pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Because of their sacrifices, America is still the longest. You can, this is interesting how far we've, long we've lasted compared to other attempts. Uh, America is still the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. Today we celebrate our independence in a variety of ways. Food. By the way, fireworks, it's amazing how many founding fathers talked about how fireworks would be part of this celebration through all the American history. It's interesting. So fireworks were a big deal, you know, several hundred years ago, 246 years ago. They're big at my house. I don't know about your house, but we shoot some fireworks at my house. Uh, or they do. I don't do it anymore. But anyway... However, the founders took more serious this particular day by specifically recognizing God's hand in our deliverance. So a lot of our documents talk about that, our historical documents. In 1837, you know, 60 or so years after, John Quincy Adams reminded Americans, here's a quote, the birthday of this nation is indissolubly linked to the birthday of our Savior. And it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. What he's saying is, the furtherance of the gospel, America being founded, is very significant in the preaching and, sh and sharing and spreading of the gospel. The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. So there's John Quincy Adams in 1837 saying that, our declaration was based on the principles of Christianity. Our three branches of government are based on biblical truth. And the book of Isaiah speaks of all three branches. Uh, another one is, uh, this is an interesting one. from uh, This is from Benjamin Franklin. Uh, it says, on, on June the 28th of 1787, Benjamin Franklin made a powerful and stirring speech to those who attended the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. 
So you took in, a, you know, 11 years later. His words then are no less true today. In fact, they strike a profound prophetic note that serve as a disturbing warning to all who would dismiss God's providential hand in the establishment and maintenance of the United States of America. Here's his, here's his part of his speech. All of us who were engaged in the struggle in the War of Independence must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence that was in our favor. To this kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace and on the means of establishing our future national identity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Obviously, he's talking about God's sovereignty. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth. That God governs in the affairs of men. That's, that's biblical. Think of the book of Acts that says, you know, Acts 17, every, every nation, its borders, the people that lived there were planned by God in eternity past. And he says, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without His aid? He says, we have been assured, sirs, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. He quoted Psalm 127. Let, let me read all of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I'll read on, but before I do, there's a book I have, and, and real bold in the book, it's a little booklet, it says, God bless America. But when you pick the book up and bring it closer, it says, can God still bless America? That's a probing question. Based on how we act, the theological question is, can God bless America the way we are? Think about that. And then, then here, here's back to Benjamin. Benjamin says, I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without God's concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. So that is a great, great quote from uh, Benjamin Franklin. Ah, there's all this stuff I could tell you. We're here to talk about the Lord Jesus, but there's so much about our history that is so profound. Um, Harvard, Yale, Princeton were all founded by Christians or denominations. Almost about 90%, if you took the first 100 universities or colleges that were established in America, and of course some were established way before our, our freedom, our, our War of Independence. I mean, some of them were in 1670. But if you took the first hundred, about 90% were affiliated with the denomination. And a lot of the first presidents of most of the universities were pastors or 
Bible teachers in colleges. And then they became preachers. Just interesting. Now you won't read that in a history book, will you? Like the Mayflower, of course, I mean, this goes back much further, but in 1600, 1620, this is the preamble to the Mayflower Compact says this, having undertaken, matter of fact, this isn't even part, most of it is not in this textbook, okay? But here's the preamble to the Mayflower Compact. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. So it says, this is why we've come. To promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. You won't find that in history books. Uh, anyway, I've sent you to Matthew chapter 5, didn't I? Matthew chapter 5. Obviously, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, there's two different passages I want to try to read. I want to try to read here and then in Colossians chapter 2. Um, I have a little note here. It says, our wills, <clears throat> our will, our self-will, your will, my will, <clears throat> our wills function according, says our wills function according, I'm sorry, our wills function according to Jesus uh, based on what's in our heart. And what the issue here is, is that whatever we do, our wills are driven by our heart. You can read that in Luke chapter 6. So whatever we're doing is seated in the heart of man. Uh, as a matter of fact, he says whatever comes out of the mouth begins in the heart. Luke 6. But folks, the things that are going on in our country, which is so far different or is a dichotomy to, to what our founders did and what our founders believed, uh, it's the, the heart of man. This is why Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. And he, he implies that you can't even know your own heart. So our hearts are wicked. All men's hearts are wicked. Even saved people have an old nature that battles us. So, so folks, I, and nothing's going to change that. Legislation helps, right? It does help. You can stave off wickedness by law, but the greatest thing is changing the heart of man, right? That's the hope. And of course, what's happened in the last 50 years is they've convinced me and you that our faith should be private and not public. And they've proven that by e eradicating it from the public. You know, Let's take out the Ten Commandments out of the schools, but then let's tell the kids in school, don't lie. Don't cheat. But isn't that what the Ten Commandments say? But see, those Ten Commandments come with authority, don't they? And so they remove them. Anyway, I'm going to get off on that. I'm in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's talk about something even greater than America's freedom. Let's talk about the freedom that you and I have in Christ and, and the call. Let me read you one more thing. I'm sorry. I, I just do this and I'll move on. I've got, I've got an hour, so we've got plenty of time. Look... I've read this before. This is so interesting. If you want to write it, that, not what I say, but this document. It's called the Old Deluder Act. Okay? The Old Deluder Act of 1647. Uh, it, this is part of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. This is uh, like in their documents how the, how the colony would be run and what they were going to do. 
And so it has a little history to it, so let me try to explain it. So it's called the Old Deluder Act. And who are we talking about? Who's the deluder? Satan, okay? So Massachusetts Bay, the colony, knew that Satan would be against the promotion of, of biblical truth. So it is. This is what part of the Massachusetts Bay, this document says. It, it being the one chief project of the old deluder, who's Satan, his main project is to keep men from the knowledge of the Scriptures. Okay? So they say, obviously, the devil doesn't want people in Massachusetts to learn about the gospel or the, the kingdom of Christ, whatever you want to say. They, he doesn't want it in the people's hands. So, so in town, so what they did is, in, it says in towns where there were 50 households, those towns were required to establish elementary schools to educate the children in Scripture. And, and here's, here's their little statement. That the knowledge of the Scriptures may not be buried in the graves of our forefathers. Let me read that again. So they're going to teach the Scriptures in schools. That's their point. And here's, he says, that the knowledge of the Scriptures may not be buried in the graves of our forefathers. So when one generation passes, the next generation knows and loves the Scriptures. And folks, you've got to admit, in America, you go back a hundred years, and you compare just the general public knowledge of Judeo-Christian truth a hundred years ago to today. And, and the deluder has played a great game with America. really has. We're, the, we're, illiterate, we're illiterate biblically. More so than ever. And we have more biblical aids than ever. But America is, is it's buffoonery about biblical truth. There's no knowledge of God in the land. There isn't. There isn't. And uh, so that question, can God bless America? That's a, that's a very applicable question. Probing question. Or should God bless America? Remember what He did with Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember? And remember what it says over there in Peter? That... The judgment on Second Peter, that the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah is an example to those who will deal with the, the get into the desires of the flesh like that. So we just think about those things. Matthew chapter five, I'll begin reading at verse uh, thirteen. You are the salt of the earth. Think about in Bible days, you know, when you said that, um, how profound salt was. Now, in the Holy Land, there are large quantities of salt. Matter of fact, the Dead Sea is also called the Salt Sea. And we're going there, by the way. We're going to Israel in November of 23, if you want to go with us. But the Dead Sea has... Tons and tons and tons of salt. It's not high quality salt, but it's salt. Matter of fact, there's so much salt in the water, you can't sink. Yes, even as big as I am. 
In shallow water, I float. You can't make yourself, you bob up like a cork because of the salt content. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. And by the way, the Dead Sea is the lowest place on the face of the earth. I thought that's interesting. And by the way, if you're a Bible student, you know that somewhere around there is where uh, Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. And remember when Lot looked at, Sodom, looked at the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he see? Fertile plains. But for 4,000 years, you know what it's been now? A bunch of salt and sulfur and dirt. Nothing can grow there. And what's that proof of? God judges sin. That's what it's proof of. And the Bible says God left it as an example. Now they recently, I'm, ch- I'm chasing a rabbit, but they have recently think they found where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Obviously it's near the Dead Sea. But it's been out of existence all these thousands of years, just like God said. You're the salt of the earth. So they used it. Oh, there's so many reasons why salt was important. It, uh, it would... Uh, they purified. Matter of fact, uh, you, if you read enough, you find that, that even with the new births, when new, when new babies were born, they, they had developed this salt solution that they would cleanse the baby with that salt. And of course, it was a cleansing agent. But probably in Bible days, the, the one thing you would think that salt would be used for is preservation. So without salt, things get rotten, Right? I used to know my daddy used to buy those uh, salt-cured hams from up in Kentucky and Tennessee. And Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. You, you never had a salt-cured ham? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you can barely eat it because it tastes like salt. But uh, in reality, they are really good. But, but they were preserved and would be, you know, they'd set out in salt and salt-cured ham. Just think immediately, and I'll read on, but immediately, if you and I are the salt of the earth, if there's corruption, who does it fall back on? Us. Now, men are wicked. The man of heart is wicked. We understand depravity. But if somebody's going to keep decay from progressing, who should it be? Us. Because see, all the other things society might do may hold it off. But what we have to offer, who's Christ, changes the heart of man, right? Do you remember how wicked you were before you got saved? You were, you were part, at one time, were part of the problem. What uh, Robbie just read, you were wicked, depraved, Pursuing your own lust and desires. But God, God changed you. And well, God needs to change millions and millions of other people. He can do it. But they must hear the gospel. You have to know you're lost before you can repent and believe and be saved, right? They don't believe they're lost. You're the salt of the earth. So you just, in mind up top of your head, we preserve, we cleanse. Uh, one interesting thing uh, is... They used it uh, to, uh, they would put it up on their roofs because a lot of times at, during the day if they were going to fellowship, they went up on the roof, which if you know enough about your Bible, you realize there's things happen off the roof because it was flat normally to some degree and you could stay up there, you could walk around. 
because all the animals were down there. So if you were going to, you know, eat some chips and dip, you, you couldn't do that down here. Uh, you had to go up and, and they, in order to keep traction, they, they put salt up there so you wouldn't slip and fall off your roof. We move on. But we, so me and you, the apostles, all believers are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, and folks, I, I'm not being ugly, but I'm saying the salt that we're called to be is not a low quality salt. We're to be the salt of Christ. We, we're supposed to be preserving and cleansing. That's who we're supposed to be. That's what Christ did. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it be saltiness? Or how will it be restored? And, and guess what you would do with tasteless salt? What could you do with tasteless salt? You'd throw it up on the roof or you'd throw it on the ground. And guess what people would do? Walk on it. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men or people's feet. Very common. So salt. You're the light of the world. I know I'm out of time. i got a clock right here. You know, you know what a clock means to me. Zilch. But I will be thoughtful. We have nursery workers that are over there. We have food prepared. I don't want it to be cold. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We talked a little bit about light and darkness last week. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to finish by reading this next paragraph and we'll close. Now here's what the issue is to me. It always goes back to the Bible. Okay, We're where we are is because people no longer believe in the authority of the Bible. Uh, the reason you and I know that, I mean, you can get on, I don't get online, but enough people, Facebook, you hear people say things just stupid. That's what they believe, but it's wrong. And there's so much ignorance out there about biblical truth. Or people accept things that are not true, and that's what they mold their lives around. They mold their lives around a lie. Many denominations don't teach God's Word. Many denominations right now are battling, defending God's Word. Uh, even in our Southern Baptist Convention, we're having some issues there. Uh, other denominations have caved in certain areas. We haven't, but we, it's struggling. You know, the Contemporary culture is in the new wave of young preachers. You know, They wear their skinny jeans and, and they want to change God's Word. They want it to be more inclusive. It's not inclusive. Look what he says about God's Word, and we'll finish. This, this is Jesus' teaching, the greatest, the greatest lesson ever taught, Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's very important because when we come to Christ, 
one of the great truths of the Christian faith is how God renders us perfect is that Christ was and is perfect. He fulfilled, He obeyed every law from the Old Testament. Every law He fulfilled. And He gives me that by faith. It's imputed to me. He gives me His history. So He doesn't abolish it. He just fulfilled it. So all those laws still apply. Moral laws, not the dietary laws. He, he, he removed those. You can read the book of Acts and discover that. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not in iota, that's, I think that's the tenth letter of the Greek, Greek, Greek alphabet, and it's the smallest Greek letter. If you were to know Greek and, and of the alphabet, the Greek alphabet, it's the tenth one, and it's, the, it's smaller than one of our eyes, you know, the line with a dot. It's smaller than that. So he's saying, until earth, heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. That's a Hebrew. It's less than a comma. Okay, those are very, not anything, what he's saying, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever, so God's Word stands. Every part of this book stands. And by the way, it's going to be, now did you get this? It says, until heaven and earth pass away. Now think with me. Think with me. When does heaven and earth pass away? After the thousand year reign. Guess what book Christ is going to use to rule the world. What book? You're supposed to answer that. The Bible. His Word. Right? When He makes a new heaven and a new earth, things change. But the thousand year reign, Jesus says it's going to be this book. And not one iota or, or comma is going to be changed. But look what He says. Here we go. This is the problem. Therefore, whoever relaxes, your translation may say breaks. I'll give you the trans in a minute. We'll come back to that and we'll finish. Whoever, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You want to offend the Lord Jesus who saved you from your You want to offend Him? You violate His Word. You make little. You change it and then teach it to somebody. Yeah. That's not a salvation thing. But you'll be the least in the kingdom. Think about that. How can He use you in the kingdom that's to come if you haven't been faithful to His Word in this kingdom? Because you are a king. You do have a king. You know what happens when there's no king? Anarchy. And that's when Jesus is in your king, you come untied. Anyway, look what he says. So teach will be called, and those, I'm sorry, be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, you looking at your Bibles? Whoever does them and teaches them. Which one comes first? Does. Does. You don't have to do it now, but read Acts 1 1 and 1 2. Don't do it now. Luke's writing. 
to Theophilus, God lover, interesting name. And he says, he's writing about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He lived it, he taught it. We live it and we can teach it, right? Folks, there are hypocrites teaching the Bible because they don't live it. I could get off on I could chase a rabbit here. It's, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy what goes on when people don't live it, but they'll try to teach God's Word. So, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will, not, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's go back to this word, relaxes. It's the word for untying the bow on a bow and you know a, a bowstring. That's the word. If you're looking at common man's language, so you can't fire an arrow without it, right? So you just messed it up. The word was used to dismiss to dismiss a large crowd. See, think about what it's applying. Who relaxes? Just give up on them. It's to uh, in the New Testament uh, in Matthew. It's used of when. They untied a donkey. So the same word when it says they went, this is Jesus' triumphal entry, they untied the donkey. It's the same word for relax here. So you untie it. You, 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 it's no longer binding to them. You loosen it for them. So it's not as binding. No, listen, listen, marriage doesn't matter. Just as long as you love each other. What have you done there? You've untied the demands of Scripture. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, you... You don't have to do that. I mean, I know the Bible teaches you don't have to do it. You relax it. Unloose a sandal. The same word was used when John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy to unloose or untie his sandal. It's completely untied and take it off. It's somebody that's been set free from bondage. They're in chains and they're let loose. So you've, you take away the demands of God's Word. And then people are left to live like they want to. And then one scholar said a good translation to this word relax is to make it unrecognizable to Jesus. You change it. And listen, if you change it at all, what have you got? A lie. A lie. Well, folks, I have to ask you, do you know God's Word? And Because if you don't know God's Word, how can you tell the world that's that's dying and going to hell and is lost as lost can be. If you don't know God's truth, how, can you, how in the world can you be the salt of the earth? You're the salt and you're the light. What happens? The Bible says light. When light, and we'll quit, we'll quit. When light shows up, guess what happens? The Bible says it dispels darkness. It dispels it. It's no longer dark when there's light. They're diametrically opposed. It dispels darkness, what the Bible teaches. You dispel the darkness of this world. Folks, we've been given, we've been given freedoms. They're being taken away. A lot of our Christian freedoms are been, But we have an opportunity, a lot of people don't in other nations, to dispel the darkness. Each one of us, the light of the world. 
So we're not going to hide our light. We're going to put it on the stand and let it shine. Amen? We're going to let our light shine. Amen? We're going to do that. Well, is the food ready? I've tried to go away. They told me to preach two hours, but I'm not going to go that long. Does somebody know the food ready? Usually they tell me. If... Well, anyway, let's stand together. Please stay and, and have a burger and play kickball with Walter. Where Walter went? Oh, that's right. Walter's cooking. Folks, thank you for being here. Don't you love America? As messed up as we are, it, it's great. It's great to live here. You go anywhere, you go outside our country, and you'll find out how precious America is. It's a mess in other places. I'm going to go ahead and bless the food as well. And uh, I'm assuming we're going to the fellowship hall. I'm assuming the line will be there. So anyway, you'll know where to go. Let's pray. It's sobering, Lord, to think about a world that's so dark and decaying, but yet I've been called, others that are saved in this room have been called to be salt and light. Father, I pray that everywhere we go, We'll be doers of Your Word so we can teach Your Word. Father, help us not to relax it. Help us not to belittle and change and abandon Your Word. Help us to be Word doers. Father, thank You for the church. Thank You for the gathering of the saints today. Father, thank You for baptism. Thank You for those two precious young ladies. God, thank You for changing their heart. Thank You for their families. Now, Lord, for the food and fellowship we now enjoy, uh, pray that You'll bless it to our bodies. Bless the fellowship. Strengthen us by us getting to know our brothers and sisters a little bit better. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you.